Himalayas Studios. And I remember just being like, come on, Omaha, like thinking we were going to win Wisconsin and that like maybe it would come down to like one electoral vote. And I was spewing a bunch of like hopeful bullshit, just being like, we still got this. And everybody was like, you're insane. We're about to lose. And I walked out of the White House and I could hear just these screaming outside of the fence. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. There are Trump supporters already outside the fence. And I walked out of the gate and it was like 1 a.m. And I looked and it was college kids who were screaming and crying and just freaking out because Donald Trump had become president and they didn't know what to do. They just showed up at the White House and were freaking out. And I remember being like, I don't even think it, I really understand how big of a deal this is. Tanya Sominator was in the White House on election night 2016. Before that night, she was planning her next move stepping away from her work in Barack Obama's administration and hoping to take a gig writing for comedy shows like The Daily Show or Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. 2017 rolled around and we were facing the inauguration of Donald Trump. I was like, I just don't know if I can leave politics right now. I just don't know if going to a show that just explains how bad it is, is enough. It's leaving people in a place that they already know, that this man is absurd, that he's going to drag the country down. Everything that I worked on, whether it was the Iran deal, the climate change deal, you know, whatever it may be, uh, is about to get overturned or taken away. And I just can't be in the business of just talking about it. I have to do something about it. From Elias Studios, this is Servant of Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. This week... How Tanya Sominator and Crooked Media are trying to push the left to do more than just listen. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Just a heads up, uh, I interviewed Tanya on January 4th, 2021, the day before the Georgia Senate runoffs and everything that happened after that. After the election of Donald Trump, Tanya Sominator knew she had to do something. So she got in touch with former Obama speechwriter John Favreau for advice. And I called him and I was like, hey, I, I really want to work in media and story, but I'm just not ready I I don't know where to find 
a role where we're not just talking about it, but we get to do something about it. And he's like, funny. I just started a company that we're hoping to do just that. It's just three of us right now in my dining room, but maybe you'd be interested in that maybe. And I was like, where is it? New York? No, LA. Oh, fuck that. I was like, I'm not moving to LA. Fuck LA. LA sounds horrible. And so then began the dance, uh, whether or not I was going to move out to LA just to do this job. But I hung up the phone with him and messaged a friend and she was like, I can tell right now you're already out there. You're, you're just trying to convince yourself you're not going, but you're going because <laughs> this is the exact opportunity that I wanted. That opportunity was with Crooked Media, whose flagship show, Pod Save America, has become one of the most popular podcasts in the country. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's pod, the Republican Party's last ditch effort to overturn the presidential election for a man who was just caught on tape trying to steal it again. Uh, we'll also talk about the state of the Georgia Senate races a day before the election and what Joe Biden can do to fix the federal government's bungled vaccine rollout. As the company's chief content officer, Tanya says Crooked's mission is to inform, entertain, and inspire action, which means that it shows deliberately cross the line from commentary into participation. We are not reporters. We are not journalists. We don't approach the news that way. We are as much consumers as our audience are. The difference is that we, the founders and a lot of people who work here, are interested in political outcomes. We are political strategists at heart. And so what we do is we take the news that is being reported and we tell you and we provide that connective link where it's like, you read the story, we read the story. Here's what we think it means. Yeah. And here's what we all collectively should be doing to change the outcome. And so for us, the distinction doesn't really exist. Like if we were the Washington Post, I imagine there would be ethically and like or just objectively some issues there because we're supposed to keep a distance and try to be dispassionate presenters of information. But mm. as crooked, we are not dispassionate. We are incredibly passionate about progressive outcomes and progressive policies and our belief that democratic values, small d, are actually important to a successful functioning government, functioning society, yeah. civil society. From that perspective, what we're doing is very natural. From yeah. a media perspective, it certainly might read differently, but that's yeah. not necessarily how we view ourselves. That drive towards political outcomes stems from Tanya's professional past. She worked in politics for years before going into the media, starting out as an office assistant in her native Ohio for Congressman Sherrod Brown. And I got that job during when the Bush administration was actually trying to push immigration reform. It shut down the phones. And it gave me the first inkling. I was like, huh, this is not traditional politics anymore, where like George Bush says he wants to do this thing. And I, all the Republicans are like, OK, great. And they line up like that was the first time I saw a fracture in that there was like people were not falling in line. And of course, it was around immigration, which is obviously xenophobic and racial elements to it. But to have them shut down Congress over it was really it just showed the hmm. kind of power in terms of people were consuming something that we weren't seeing. Like George W. Bush was reelected. He was Mr. Popular. I mean, until the Iraq war, obviously. And so as he lost in popularity, his power to influence the right waned as well. And so I was just curious. I was like, what's happening here? And then when the ACA was going through, I mean, the Tea Party was in the front office every day. And I was like, 
they were screaming at us about mm. uh, the death panels and stuff. I'm like, where are you getting this? What is this from? This was the start of Facebook's growth as a platform to distribute all kinds of information, factual and fake. And Tanya was fascinated by it. She also started to see what really made policy stick with voters. Strong, simple narratives. It is the most powerful thing in terms of influence. And you see it on the right. You see how easily they try and boil down difficult things into an easy narrative that people can consume. And they pick the elements that either reflect some kind of truth of that or are just batshit crazy. But it's a narrative nonetheless. It is one that people can understand because for some reason things aren't working out for them. And here's a reason why. Here's a story about why. Hmm. Moving into that direction was like, you know, that is the most that it's the most powerful tool in politics. And so I just kind of wanted to see how it worked. She worked as a reporter for Think Progress before going back to politics, working for Nancy Pelosi and then for Barack Obama. She joined Crooked Media in 2017 when the company launched as a direct result of Donald Trump's election. So now, four years later, and with a new Democratic president soon to be inaugurated, what's in the cards for Crooked Media? This is going to annoy you because I'm sure you've heard a million times. Um, But Donald Trump is a symptom. He's not necessarily the thing that we existed to take down. He was just the literally the worst symptom of larger structural issues. And I can tell you the thing that gets everybody up here is when we hear the story of somebody who has been was trying to vote in Georgia, let's say, and couldn't because that right was messed with by, uh, you know, suppressive tactics or policies. Hmm. And that's the those are the kinds of things that really, quite frankly, piss us off. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to fix. Like we're our target is kind of restoring trust or putting in place policies that will help restore trust in a civil society and, and how government functions. That's what Crooked is aimed at helping to do. Obviously, crooked media is not going to be central to that. Like organizers, Mm. activists, politicians are central to that. But our goal is to help facilitate that and help explain to people how they can be part of that mission if that's what they want to be part of. Removing Donald Trump kind of just takes the top off of this, or I guess really opens the lid of the Pandora's box of issues that uh, we have in actually making people trust government. And hmm. and there's so many. So how we tackle that, explain that, start to tell stories or put out content that helps people understand why things are the way they are and why the systems work the way they work, that they'll have more information than a conspiracy theory that's saying it's a global cabal. Yeah. Uh, and might realize it's like, oh, we just degraded campaign finance laws. And we overturned Voting Rights Act, you know, voting rights legislation that made it possible for these things to exist at the root of all evil, gerrymandering. (laughs) So like that's, (laughs) you know, it's like, how do you tell a fun story about gerrymandering? I don't know, but I'm going to attempt to do that. You know, that's one of the things Crooked would do is like, how do we how do we explain why people need to care about gerrymandering in a way that they'll actually care? So I've heard Crooked Media described as a center or like a moderate left kind of mirror to right-wing talk radio, which is incredibly influential. Um, when you all were building out Crooked, did you set out to create like a left-wing version of that? 
I think a lot of people think we're moderate or center left because we talk a lot about the how to get something done, not what Mm -hmm. needs to be done. Uh, And that leaves us in the position of being like, yes, we believe in Medicare for all for sure. And yes, we want to see all of the progressive policies that we champion. However, we are also aware that there is a completely opposite side of the aisle Hmm. that is going to drag everything we're pushing for way to the right. Hmm. We look at the political strategy and and try to explain and execute one. But to your question about being the left's version of that, the audience that consumes right wing media and, you know, leans towards that consumption pattern Hmm. is wildly different from the audience that consumes left leaning media or news media. Yeah. They operate differently. They think differently. Their psychologies are different. So it's very difficult to just say, we're going to do what they're doing on the right, but on the left. Yeah. Because the left operates completely differently. They're, they're going to make different choices about how they consume stuff. So in many ways, the right wing also has a much more homogeneous audience. You know, they share more characteristics than people on the, who are on the left or who align with progressive values do. Yeah. It's a wider spectrum. They're younger. They consume on different platforms in a way that like an audience in the right might just watch Fox News and then they get in their car and they just listen to the radio. There's so many platforms and by which like young people can find their news and consume media. People on the left, like different communities that they belong to and look at the news through that lens. So it's very hard to create a left balance to the right. We have to take a much more amoebic method, which is we reach people where they are with uh, credible expertise in the areas that in the information that they're looking for and kind of map ourselves to the platforms and where they are and where they're consuming their news. I feel like part of what conservative media has always done extremely well um, is that it's always been able to find like an enemy, for lack of a better word, to build a story around for its audience. And in the last four years, um, left-wing media has sort of had that with Donald Trump. So what now? That's a great question, mainly because what you're getting at is the right is really good at telling a story and a simple one, one that everybody can understand. It's like the Marvel test where they had somebody redescript and if they couldn't understand it they went back to the writer's room it's like the right has that like down key it's like it has to be really simple there has to be an enemy and there has to be good guys and we're the good guys so whatever we declare the enemy is the enemy so like with the, the left makes art house films that they're right yeah yeah, yeah. we're like, like we're making like midsummer yeah. and we're like oh, but the enemy is the system shout out to midsummer <laughs> yeah love it love it love it 24 really do but i would say like look like while that is true like we are not two things one I do think defining an enemy is really important and we are not short on them. Like I will say that we, you know, Crooked Media helped raise something like $45 million for the 2020 cycle. And a significant amount of that was not about Donald Trump. It was about Mitch McConnell. He's the number one enemy out there. He is the reason that Congress has like a 10% approval rate. He is making it so easy to show exactly why. Congress cannot work for you. That's not to say that 
we're going to just focus everything on Mitch McConnell the way that we did on Donald Trump. Of course not. We want to see Joe Biden keep the promises he made, move the policies that he said he wanted to move, make decisions that uh, move us in that direction or deliver that result for us directly. And we will be pushing him to do that. But we are also, like I said at the beginning, we're very aware of the system he's working with. And our job is going to be to try and explain that, illuminate that and help push back against what they're doing to try and make it possible for those results to be delivered. And so it is, you're right, it is about constructing a narrative like the right does in a way that feels very true, really reflective of the facts, which was, would be a strong distinction between us and the right, and really simple to understand, which is just, if you want to see this happen, this is what's standing in your way. And chances are it's a Republican. After the break, a German heavy metal band and the CIA. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com sweeps. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. Last year, Crooked Media released Wind of Change a podcast that explored a possible connection between the heavy metal band The Scorpions and the CIA. He was either at the farm at the time of his training or he was at headquarters in Langley and, like, an older gentleman who has been around the block comes in to meet the new recruits. So a graybeard. Yeah, and tells them stories, etc. Told this story to a group of people that he was with that... This song had been written by the CIA and had been a part of a PSYOPs campaign. Psychological operation. Exactly. To what? To insert this song, this music into the Soviet Union. To encourage change. It may seem like a departure from the company's core mission of newsy shows meant to inspire political action. But Tanya says the heart of Wind of Change is exactly what Crooked Media wants to bring to its audience. Wind of Change is a really good example of how we're trying, really honestly trying to peel back the curtain on how things work. We obviously do that very directly with Pod Save America, but there are so many stories in history and in the current political landscape, in other industries, in sports and culture, Hmm. society, health, all of that, where the way things work 
And the way that systems work, it's incredibly political. They're reflective of power. They're reflective of power structures, influence, things that go on behind the scenes that people who are wondering why outcomes are the way they are might not know if we don't peel back that curtain show, like, look at this thing. Isn't that crazy? Wind of change. And, you know, Patrick Patrick Radenkeefe, like, brought us the story of he was like, I think the CIA might be involved in this. And we were like, of course. (laughs) You know, like... Uh, whether they are specifically involved in this or not, there is obviously this concept of soft power and how Americans use cultural influence to impact outcomes in the world, of course. Yeah. And like, this is a great entertaining way into that, like to touch on that and to really pull that back and show how the CIA uses not just like spies and like, you know, all of the stuff that people think traditionally about the CIA, but to think about American power and American intelligence as like a really 360, like they use everything, including cultural uh, product to, to influence governments or influence societies. And so we were really excited about the story. We were like, this is super relevant. And it's such a fun way to tell that story. And those are the kinds of stories we look for, something that shows you how the system works a little bit and and might surprise you because you didn't know it like that before. Wind of change. Uh, You know, it's like a movie waiting to happen. Uh, So I wonder if like if working with the larger entertainment industry, right, movie studios, TV studios, streaming services, you know, if that's part of Crooked's strategy to get its message out to as many people as possible. There's no more effective way to help people understand what's going on than sharing a story to explain to explain how something works through a story hmm. uh, and we obviously come from that school of thought because all of us worked for Barack Obama and he was the biggest proponent of that uh, method of uh, persuasion of sharing like why he believed the things he was believed and how he was getting that done yeah, now Obviously. he has his own studio and a crooked media competitor, it seems like. Yes, I know. Uh, so we're having like a story off now. Uh, <laughs> and it's really annoying. Uh, but no, he's he's excellent at that. And, you know, obviously his chief speechwriter is a founder of this company and is a big believer in the power of story. Oftentimes, Barack Obama would open a speech with a story that kind of revealed why he was pushing for health care reform or, or any policy he was trying to push for, because people can relate to that. They can understand that. They can they can empathize with us if you tell about somebody through story. And so Hollywood and uh, the media and entertainment industry is so well positioned to help shape how people view what's happening in the world. And we're very aware of that. Hmm. Uh, So it doesn't impact the stories we pursue. Like, obviously, true crime is having a moment. um, It will never not have a moment, it It seems like. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, we don't, we aren't, uh, I can say we aren't pursuing anything that's just straight up true crime. uh, Because it doesn't really, as I say, fit the brief of what a crooked media (laughs) product would be. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean like we won't if we don't think it like if we think it reveals something about how the justice system works. Um, but we do keep that in mind. Like we want people to feel connected to the story so that by the end of it, they might see something a little bit differently than they used to. Or they might be persuaded that there is a policy that we need to put in place um, and they'll start from that position. And that's great. That's that's what we want. That's what we want to see. And so we're hoping that, like, as we find more stories that we can interest, you know, the entertainment industry and in helping us tell it in more, uh, I guess, traditional ways, be it through TV, film, whatever, mm. what have you. 
So it's four years since you moved to LA and uh, joined Crooked Media. Um, mm-hmm. New presidency, new administration. How do you feel looking forward to the next four years? I feel like we're, we've sort of returned to the starting block for this country, where I think anybody who thinks the election of Joe Biden has restored anything is deluded. All it did was bring everybody back to the truth of the matter that there is a shit ton of work to do and that if we are to restore any sense of like quote unquote politics as usual or politics as it should be we're basically standing on like the world's shoddiest foundation right now Hmm. um and so i feel like there's so much work to do and prioritization and be and like biden is kind of like neither here nor there on that in some ways it's kind of like uh what legislation can we get done for him to sign and what can we get done on the state level how can we change things from the ground up so we don't have to be over reliant on an executive and that has been something that i think we've seen the problems of that both under obama and under trump so i think everybody has just walked themselves back to the starting line and now we have a series of incredibly hard battles ahead of us. And that can feel exhausting, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity to fight them because the other option was not even getting a chance. It was like the continued backslide into whatever the hell Trump was promising to deliver. Ridiculous authoritarianism. I don't know. It was terrifying. So I think at least the hope that I have is that people showed up because they knew something needed to change and that the backslide that they were seeing, while they might not agree with everything that Democrats or progressives were putting forward, that wasn't the country they wanted to live in. And so I'm excited to see what story we can tell to show Americans the kind of country they can live in and the power they have to help deliver that. It's going to be a multiple generational job and decades and decades of work, I'm sure. But I think that's a worthy fight, much worthier than, you know, whatever, whatever wall Trump was going to build or whatever it was going to be. So that's kind of that's how I feel about the next four years, the next eight, the next 10, the next 20. Same thing. It's hard to let go of. It's hard to step away from it when you know that there's so many people who are hoping to to live in a country like that. Uh, It's it's cool to be a part of that work, Hmm. however small. Tanya, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This was cool. Serpentapod <laughs> <laughs> is written and hosted by me, Nick Kwa. You can check out more episodes at elias.com slash servantofpod. The show is produced by Andrea Swahe, Jessica Alpert, and John Parati at Rococo Punch. Web design by Andy Cheatwood, and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at Elias Studios, including Christian Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Christian Muller, and Leo G. Servant of Pod is a production of Elias Studios.
the Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.